Good. <laughs> I'm ABC4 Chief Meteorologist Jim. This is Brent Humphrey. This is Chris Burbank. This is Kim Fisher with Good For You Talk. I'm Tori Wilson, and you're listening. Hey, everybody, this is George Severson, news director at ABC4 Utah and CW30 and MeTV. You're listening to Old U Radio. Have a great day. <laughs> <laughs> Desperado Sitting in a old Monte Carlo A man whose heart is hollow uh-huh. Take it easy I'm not trying to go against you Actually I'm going with you Gotta get up out of here and you and leave And welcome back to episode number 146 of OU Radio. I'm Johnny McKeon. With me in studio, as always, sadly, Sasha Bloom. Also with us on mic, Wayne Thompson at 97.1 ZHT. And we got a very special guest for you guys today. I'm really excited to have her on. We have anchor and reporter at Channel 4, ABC4's Good For Utah, Nadia Crow. How are you? I'm feeling great. I'm so happy that we finally figured out our schedule so I could be here today. Right. (laughs) And it's mostly me. Like, I'll take full responsibility for being unreliable. <laughs> but I made it today, and I'm happy. <laughs> We're happy to have you here, Nadia. I've wanted you on the show for quite a while. Um, like this, this is excited. I know, I know, Wayne's excited. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a media junkie, so you know, I've been following the career of the Nadia Crow oh, right boy. here. I gotta like, come on the show more often. <laughs> if, if y'all show me love like this, I might have to be here every Sunday. Thank you. They told me, and I was literally <laughs> freaking out. Like at first, I didn't think it was gonna work because uh, I thought it was gonna be next week that you were gonna be in studio. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, I can't do that. My sister's graduation. I'm like, graduation and Nadia Crow. How do I work decisions, this out? Decisions. I'm like, dang it. <laughs> but it ended up being this week, so I was happy. Yeah, no, I'm happy to be. You know, honestly, like when you get the opportunity to come on someone else's show and do what you love and a different way like radio I don't know radio is where I started um, in college I started a radio station before I moved over to TV and there's something so authentic about being on the radio you know when you're on TV people are looking at your hair and your makeup and what you're wearing and you know you have all those superficial things that take away from it but on radio it's just you your voice your co-host talking about the issues like there's something really natural about it I enjoy not having a image behind me or dealing with it because that's going to paint your story in media as where in audio or or radio you have to do it with your mind and your creativity i think it's a truer art form it is and and there's no feedback you know when when i'm in studio i can look at one of my production assistants to see if they got a joke that i just said normally they don't because i'm not that funny but (laughs) i can at least look around and see you know get feedback or feel a crowd on radio you just have to be authentic because you aren't playing off of anybody you know what i mean it's not it's not the same as as being on tv and you have so many other distractions and things for viewers to look at and listen to and take in all at once it's a very interesting thing because the news anchor came from the 1950s and 60s radio art form of a host right and the interesting thing about television and news it's never changed so (laughs) your job is the same job that they were doing in the 60s. It's very weird to me that it hasn't evolved the role of the news anchor. The news anchor job 
is and will always be what you see it as today. I think it will change in a sense that you may see more editorialized script. Um, if you look at the stations that are doing really well, it's the it's the talk shows. You have your Fox News, your MSNBCs, your CNNs. So during the day, it's more news structured. At night, it's more commentary. Your Sean Hannity's, your Megyn Kelly, your... Um, Oh, Rachel Maddow, they are still, they're, they're news, they're still journalists, but they're more hosts. Um, and I, I hope that the audience understands the difference between somebody who is a, a journalist and strictly news versus someone who is a host and able to add in their own opinion, um, which is not necessarily based in fact. It may just be based in opinion or whoever, whatever station they work for and whatever their media slant is or their political slant. Um, so you'll see, I think you'll see the news anchor role change in a sense but when you look at things like September 11th, you look at things like a tsunami, when you look at things that happen um, around the world and especially in this country, people still turn on their local news. They still turn on uh, NBC Nightly News. They still turn on ABC World News to see what happened that day. So you always have that sense um, of security in that news anchor that you turn to. So maybe not on a daily basis. Maybe you get your news from BuzzFeed. Maybe you get it from Instagram. Maybe you get it from your Facebook feed. But when something really big happens in this country, you still turn on the news. Is it dangerous for news anchors to have journalists or people in media who editorialize their shows? Because it seems like there can become a blurry line with credibility. Oh, absolutely. And I and I think that's Kind of the biggest problem that um, or one of the concerns that I have and one of the issues that I always face, especially on social media, when people will tell me well, they'll ask me, you know, Nadia, what do you think about this particular issue or this happened in Salt Lake? Wasn't that wrong? Didn't you think that was racist? I don't have the ability to say exactly how I feel about it. My job is to deliver the facts and let you um, come up with your own answer, come up with your own opinion. My opinion, my feelings, they don't matter. If I had my own show and it was um, a commentary and I was hosting, then you'd know exactly how I feel about everything because I definitely have an opinion <laughs> on everything. But uh, you will never see that opinion at 4 o'clock when um, I'm anchoring from 4 to 5, Monday through Friday. Let me get that plug in. Uh, <laughs> you'll never hear my opinion. And when I used to live in Iowa, we were in the middle of the 2012 primaries um, on the Republican side, and then we had the election, and um, people would say to me after a newscast, oh, you dirty conservative, or you Obama lover, and as long as I got hate on both sides, I knew I did a good job that day. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So as long as everybody was upset, I did my job. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be so hard to, like, because you, you know the truth feelings inside, right. but to not allow them to come out. Yeah, yeah. It's just, that's got to be really hard. That's like the true journalism. Like that is you and your journalistic integrity. Um, that's what they teach you about in school. And that's what separates you from someone who has their own talk show. And you because when you tune in to Rachel Maddow, you know her slant, you know her political slant. When yeah, you tune in yeah. to Megyn Kelly, you know how she's going to feel about a certain issue. You almost don't need to watch because you already know what's going to come out of their mouth. Um, that that is freedom for them. Because they get to just be themselves and tell it like they how they believe it is. Um, on a news station, 
as a journalist, trying to keep that integrity, trying to be non-biased, all of those things, it's a much, much harder role because you have to keep that hidden. And I interview people all the time and I'm just looking at them like, you really believe what just came out of your mouth? <laughs> 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 like, you, know, you are like, fool, man. You, really, you are fool for that. Who are you trying to fool? <laughs> you know? <laughs> but I can't say that. I can think it. And, like, mm-hmm. uh, right. Um, and I have to do a really good job because I... I wear my emotions on my sleeves. Like I'm just a, a very like open person. Johnny, we worked together yep. for a long enough time. Like you'll know when I'm having a bad day. Oh, I know. A good day. Yeah. Like you'll know. So oh, when I know. I'm in the middle. <laughs> I make sure everything. He's like, sure please believe. And it might be Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. You yeah. don't know. But um, <laughs> I have to do like a really good job of making sure my face is right. Because if somebody says something crazy, I might look at them like, you know you just said something crazy, right? <laughs> You're like, ooh, I'm a whoop your behind. And I'm come just on like, now. come on now. Now you know that. <laughs> and on the low, like if you watch some of my interviews, like especially if they're political, on the low, I'll be like, well, critics say, and that's really like, <laughs> that's really me being like, come on now. <laughs> but I had to check myself. You know, I have to check myself every once in a while. <laughs> I've seen you before, and you, like, really, like, when you've done these these sit-down interviews uh-huh. with community pe- folks in the community yes. and stuff, and it, yeah, you do a really good job well, at I just being able that. to, you know. You don't show any bias towards anything, any right. one side or anything I like that. I appreciate this, so. that. I try not to. And especially, you know, I always look at it like everybody's busy. Everybody has so many things going on. So if you take time out of your day to come on the four o'clock show and sit down with me for three minutes, four minutes, like I, I have nothing but respect for you. Whether I agree with your event that's going on, with your political stance, with your whatever, I at least as a professional respect your time and respect the fact that you showed up and you're here to do what you said you were going to do when you agreed to coming on the show. So if nothing else, there's going to be that respect there. And it's not my job to make anybody look good or make anybody look bad. You know, like the, the public, the viewers, everybody has an opinion. You, you log on social media after the show. They'll let you know how they feel, but it's really not up to me. If you're going to come on the show and say something crazy, Everybody else heard you say something crazy, too, you know? So I don't even need to point it out. Is it training that you have to do to keep your mouth shut or learn when to not say something? Or is it coming from a mentorship when you're in college or through news directors? How do you develop that knowing when to keep your mouth quiet? Because it's a hard tool. It is a hard tool, especially if you're on the on-air side, right? If you're an anchor, you're a reporter, you probably have the gift of gab. Yeah. So to in order to, to shut your mouth and let that person speak and to truly listen to what they're saying and have a great follow-up question, it, it is a gift. It is something that you learn over time. Um, as a young reporter or a young anchor doing live interviews, you're so worried about your next question that you're not even really listening to how they're answering. And you're missing up on follow-up, um, follow-up questions. You're missing up on, they just drop like, a bomb and I missed it because I wasn't even paying attention. So that's something you learn over time. But I really feel like with my upbringing, my parents, um, we, I grew up in a very, very religious, very, very strict household. Um, my dad is ex Navy. Both of my parents, um, grew up in very religious households themselves. We went to church like five days a week. Um, my dad had three daughters and so there was nothing going down in our house. It was terrible. Like I, I remember I couldn't have a boyfriend until I graduated from high school. 
And so I graduated a, a semester early. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, so, I did so good. I really did. I um, <laughs> I love the books so much. <laughs> I really have my nose in the books. I really did. Think I don't I don't tell me. Anyway, so um, I graduated, and I remember going on my very first date, and I tried to schedule it for when my dad wasn't going to be home, but you know he wasn't on this that. <laughs> And so we're getting ready to leave. And so the young man has to come in the house. And, you know, I had to clean up the whole house. And I'm like, why? He's just going to be in the lobby, in like the lobby, in the foyer. Like, why does it even matter? Nope. Had to clean the whole house because we can't have nobody coming in here thinking we nasty, right? <laughs> so you had to clean the whole house. He comes in. My mother has got like this stank face on. Like she was just not happy. Um, my little sister, who's like seven years younger than me, always used to rat me out. For everything. Oh, for real. She oh, always so she's standing there looking for something, you know? <laughs> she's like, I hope she messes up. I hope you do. Oh, something. And then my dad, like, was really quiet and eerily so. Mm. And I was like, okay, let's 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 go. So I started backing up towards the door. And my dad's last words were, leave as one, come back as one. Meaning don't get pregnant while you're out there. Oh, <laughs> So I'm standing there and I'm like, all right, gotta go. And the the young man's like, what does that mean? I was like, leave. Turn around and leave. Don't ask questions. Don't do anything. But so growing up in that household, um, I didn't necessarily have all of the opinions and the beliefs of my parents or of my sisters for that matter. Especially when I went to college and I started learning about other religions and how other people pray and, and what other people believe in, um, learning more about the political process myself and finding out who I was as a person and where I fit into it. Because my opinions and my views were shaped by um, the church I went to, all of our religious leaders, and by my parents. So when I went off to college, I'm like, no, I'm going to do my own thing and I'm going to figure it out. So even coming home for like Thanksgiving in college or doing things, I had to learn how to hold my tongue and not necessarily say everything that I was thinking. You know, I, I was going to school in New York and it was a liberal arts college and there were a lot of things happening on campus and it was really exciting. And then I would go home and it was like, not so much. So I had to learn from my personal life how to keep my beliefs, my thoughts inside in order to, one, not get into an argument and two, not to offend someone, because if they're so deeply rooted in their thoughts and opinions, who am I to tell them otherwise? You know, I'm still developing my own thoughts and opinions, and I think that's healthy to continue to grow and educate yourself and challenge yourself on your own beliefs. Um, so it was part of my personal life that I then used that into my professional career. So when I interview people who I don't necessarily agree with or I have to go into stories or situations that I don't like, I'm used to it. I'm used to putting my own feelings, my own thoughts aside because it's just not about me. The story isn't about me. It's about who I'm talking to. Makes a lot of sense. I have a degree in journalism. And when I think of journalism schools, I think of three schools. I think of Arizona State University, the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism. Yeah. I think of Northwestern University and I think of Syracuse University. And Utah State. <laughs> No, she because this guy hates all my schools so much, oh, man. No. 
<laughs> he slapped a sticker over my door. <laughs> I have a Ute State sticker thing on my door, and he put a big old Ute sticker right on top of it. And I'm like, it's okay. I would have gone to the U if I could have. That is <laughs> messed up. That's messed up. No, yeah, I went to Syracuse University. Go Orange. Um, you know, we made it to the Final Four this year, and everybody was hating on if we should even be in the tournament, prove them wrong. Our women went to the National Championship game, got, got clobbered oh, by wow. UConn, but who didn't? Who hasn't in the past 10 years? Okay. At least we made it. So let me just throw that out there. Um, shout out to Orange Nation. <laughs> <laughs> the School of Journalism at Syracuse, I mean, literally the, some of the greatest broadcasters in radio and television come from there. ESPN is filled with Syracuse Absolutely. University alum. Why yeah. did you decide to go there? Did you know you wanted to be a journalist as a young girl? Or? Oh, yeah. I mean, this was this was a decision made by my parents. <laughs> they were like, okay, well, you, we really like this school, um, the Newhouse School, the SI Newhouse School of Public Communications at Syracuse University. And I thought, where is it? New York? All right, I'm there. Um, we lived in a suburb of Chicago. When my sister went to school, she went to Stanford University, so she went way west. I went to New York way east. We wanted to get away from each other, one. <laughs> we're, we're 18 months apart, okay? Um. So my parent, my mom used to dress us up like we were twins when we were younger because we were about the same size and people couldn't tell us apart. And there was one year in school where I was supposed to be in first grade. My sister was in second grade. They mixed up our papers. I show up in second grade and I'm like, Yes! And my sister's in first grade crying because she thought she failed. <laughs> so they had to finally figure it out. And they swapped us by the end of the day after that day of school. But I mean, that's how much we look alike. And, you know, I just wanted my own identity. She was super pretty, still is very smart, very popular, all of those great things. I was the nerdy one. I used to walk around high school with a Bible. Um, nobody wanted to be my friend. <laughs> <laughs> For real? Really? No, nobody even... wanted to be my friend. I was not cool in high school at all. I have the what? same friends from high school that I had back then are still my best friends. Like my um, best friend from sixth grade is one of my bridesmaids in my upcoming wedding. My um, friend who I met in high school, one of my very few friends in high school is my maid of honor. Like those, I'll look at what quality over quantity yeah. is how I look at friends. But yeah, so I, I knew at that time that I wanted to, one, get out of the Chicago area. Um, I felt like I was in this really, really repressed, really, really religious environment. And it wasn't bad. You know, I, I appreciate my upbringing. It taught me a lot of morals and values that I still have to this day. But I wanted to go off and explore and learn without all the pressures from everything that was back at home. But I knew from a, a young, young age, this is what I wanted to get into. My sister and I, we would watch TV and she'd always want to watch the court TV shows. So we had to watch People's Court. I've seen every Matlock episode like five times. <laughs> and then I wanted to watch Oprah. I wanted to watch 2020. I wanted to watch our local news. I loved getting up in the morning and watching the cooking segments because I thought that is a good job. You get to to have cooking segments and go on hot air balloon rides and whatever else. Like, I'm like, that's what you do every day? Love it. And my sister's a lawyer and I'm in news. So we both, from the time we could even formalize what do we want to be when we grow up, we're doing that now. Not a lot of people can say that. Not a lot of people are living out their dreams yeah. and have stuck with what they've always wanted to do. 
Never, and it's so you, cool. Sorry to jump on this. <laughs> I was just going to say, I saw you on national television with uh, Tamron Hall. Yeah. Oh, I Tamarin. was just like, what? <laughs> it was so Tamarin. cool because she's like one of your idols. Absolutely. In she is. You know, growing up um, outside of Chicago, she worked for Fox 32 Chicago. And I remember my dad telling me, like, come in the, come in. And check out Tamron Hall. And so I'm watching her and it was Tamron Hall. It was Marion Brooks. It was Diane Burns. You know, you had very few but very prominent black female anchors that were on TV in Chicago. And I w- remember watching them and just hoping, wishing one day I could be in their shoes and, and be that person. And when the Meredith Vieira show called, first I thought I was getting punked. Like I, I looked at this like New York number and I know plenty of people in New York because I went to school out there. And so I picked up and they're like, oh, this is so-and-so, the Meredith Vieira show. And I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> sure. Right? All right. And Ashton. you need me to send money to my long lost like <laughs> dynasty in Nigeria. What else? Right? I was not having it. But it it turned out to be true. And, and they asked me if I could do the show. And, you know, I had to get permission from my boss to be able to do it because uh, the Meredith Vieira show was on another network than ABC. And so we had to get all that stuff figured out. And I remember getting ready for the interview and just telling myself, don't cry, don't cry. Just keep it together. Because I get really emotional. Like when you think about somebody who you've idolized and watched and that you would consider your mentor, they don't know you. They don't know you from a hole in the wall. Um, But they mean so much to you. And to have that opportunity on national television to be able to thank them it just, it really struck a chord with me. And I was sitting there and I have my IFB on and I'm listening to the program and listening to the show and Tamron comes out and she's talking with Meredith and Meredith starts bringing it up, you know, and um, and she says, you know, you're the first black um, anchor on the Today Show and that's really cool. And, and you've inspired a young woman in the state of Utah. And she goes, oh yeah, you know, Nadia Crow. And she said my name. Whoa. And for wow. me, I was like, how does she know my name? <laughs> I'm like, how does she know me? Like, this is Tamron Hall we're talking about. She's on MSNBC. She does um, her own series. I think it's on Discovery ID. I mean, she's Tamron Hall. How does she know me? And so when she started talking about me and when she found out about me and when somebody told her, uh, you know, you have to check this girl out, she mentioned you in, in an article as being an inspiration, that's when I lost it. So by the time they came to me on camera, I was like a hot, sobbing mess. <laughs> and all my thoughts about keeping it together and all that just like went out of the window because my idol knew who I was. You know, it was like, it was like so if, cool. yeah, I mean, it, I don't know how to really compare it. But for me in my industry, we have our industry heroes and, and Tamron, Soledad O'Brien. I mean, those are two of, of mine, um, Suzanne Malvo. And so knowing that she knew who I was and then I had this chance to thank her and she was completely surprised. And so I was crying and Tamron was crying and Meredith started crying. (laughs) It was a beautiful TV moment, but it meant so much to me to finally be able to say thank you to someone who had done so much for me from being just a little girl, just wishing and hoping that I could be in her shoes one day. And you want to come full circle like that too. Just like, that's crazy. It so was too it's much. crazy. So, so tell me, how do you go from Syracuse to being Utah's first black female anchor? Like, how does that happen? Oh, like, man. did you plan for that? Like, what happened? No, I didn't plan for that at all. You know, I was in Syracuse. I was finishing up my um, two degrees there, and I was working part time at the ABC station. I wanted to get back closer to Chicago. Moved back. Um, moved to Indiana. I was in South Bend. So I was about an hour and a half, two hours from my family. Then I went to Indiana, uh, or I'm sorry, I went to Iowa and Cedar Rapids to for my first anchoring job. I was a weekend anchor there, and I was only about three hours from home. 
And so I thought, okay, I'll try to stay in the Midwest or maybe I'll do something different. I don't know. So my agent and I started putting out my tapes, putting out feelers, and we got a call from Salt Lake City. And you know, I was so ignorant to Utah. I was really ignorant to the West because I've never lived west of the Mississippi. Wow. I've always yeah. lived down south. I've always lived, you know, I was born in Texas. We lived in Virginia. We've lived in Missouri. Um, I've lived in the Midwest all over. But west of the Mississippi, all I knew was California. Because my sister went to Stanford, so I used to visit her in the Bay Area, and then she went to UCLA for law school, and so now she's in the LA area, um, and so I only visited her there. So I didn't know anything about the West, and surely not Utah. You see, what was it, Big Love on HBO, and that yeah. helps formulate your image <laughs> of Utah. So because it you know? has nothing to do. It really doesn't. Like, I'm like, I've lived here my whole life and have right. not seen a polygamist. I'm like, where are these people? Like, people asking all the time, oh, yeah, I bet you have multiple wives. Really? Right, right. Are you for real? What? And that's some of the comments I got when people found out I was coming here. It was like, oh, I didn't know you were Mormon. Are you going to be a third wife? Um, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Hadn't planned on it, but <laughs> who knows what could happen. No. So, um, you know, they called, and I was a little apprehensive at first, and I had a lot of questions just about the area because you don't just go to work. You live in the community, and as a TV anchor, you're – involved in the community you MC events you go to charity um uh, events that happen around town like you're you're just as much involved in the community as you go to work every day so it wasn't like I could just come here and then go home to my apartment and just go from my apartment to work I wanted to be immersed in the community and I also looked at it like this is a great adventure I've never I never skied before I moved here um I've been camping before but I never pitched my own tent I never really stayed in a tent because why if you <laughs> I mean come on like all of those things are so new to me in Chicago and, too right. put a tent out in the right. middle of the, where do you need to put a tent yeah, like, it's not gonna happen no we would have to go to Wisconsin or to Indiana to go um, camping anyways but like even when I got there I used to go with my best friend Gigi and her um, brother Lee would pitch our tent for us. Or if I went with my grandparents, I would complain enough to get a cabin. So it wasn't like <laughs> <laughs> I was this outdoorsy person. So I looked at it like, when else am I going to have the opportunity to move to Utah, move to Salt Lake? When else am I going to have the opportunity to do all these cool things that people do every day that I've never done? Like getting on skis for the first time. I think I was, what, 27 or 28 when I got on skis for the first time. And and there are these little kids in ski school zipping past you because <laughs> you're in their way and they come up to your knee, you know, because they're little kids. But um, And I didn't know when I got here. I had no idea that I'd be the first black primary anchor in this state. There have been um, black female anchors that have worked weekend shows or noon shows. But yeah. far as like a primary newscast in the early evening in a primetime slot had never been done before. Yeah. So there were wow. some rumblings about it when I first came here and I was like, yeah, okay. And then <laughs> <laughs> such as what? Well, just so you know, I think you're the first black anchor I've ever seen in Utah. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. But you're only like 23. So like, okay, how long have you been watching the news? Do you really know? And I was like, I was just sure. I was certain that there had been someone else in a primetime slot. And there just wasn't. And it blew my mind. And it still uh -huh. blows my mind because that was 2013. It still blows my mind because um, when we have our station tours, people will come in 
Um, the white people will come in with their adopted black kids or their adopted African Haitian kids, and they just want me to meet them yeah. so they can see someone who looks like them that is living a successful life. I've been stopped at Target. I've been stopped at Walmart. I've been stopped at Smith's from people who just say, can you come meet my daughter? Can my daughter take a picture with you? Can you talk to them about staying in school? I've done so many school events where I go into to classrooms and teachers will send me emails and they'll say, I have a really diverse classroom. They're not really interested in anything. Everybody wants to be a rapper or a ball player. Can you come in and talk to them about <laughs> the realities of the world and you walk in and when you meet these kids and, and they look up to you and they tell you, I'm the only Brown person in my family. I was adopted. I don't have any black role models. It just hits you. So it's, it's not even about me and what I think and how it's so cool. It's the impact that I've made just by my mere presence was something I wasn't expecting at all. And and it's a, it's a big weight on my shoulders because I know there are so many people who are hoping I succeed. There are so many people who are watching. There are so many people who are benefiting just from being here. And if you look at some of the other stations since I've come here, we've had people who um, are diverse that have been uh, put on primetime shows who used to work weekends. We've had people who have been brought in um, from different backgrounds who maybe would have never gotten the opportunity to work in Salt Lake City and maybe never had the opportunity to be promoted for, to a, a bigger position or a better shift. But once they saw that I'm here, I've been here for almost three years now, it seems to be working. I mean, you let me know. But <laughs> it seems to be okay. Now I feel like I've really opened up the doors for other people to come into this market and for the market to say, we want to see other people. We want to see people from every different background or religious group or ethnicity or, or whatever. And it's just being that conduit for change was really interesting when I moved here. Is it humbling? It's so humbling. Like, I'm going to get emotional. <laughs> it's so, it's cool. so humbling. Like, it's like, I came here for a great opportunity and to have an adventure. And then when I'm in Target and the little minority hair care section of the aisle that's like three feet long, <laughs> trying to find, you know what I'm talking about? You can get this, uh, get some curl in your right. hair right there. Yeah, cool. cool. butter. It, 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 it really is. I, I mean, there's shade, nothing. Shade butter here. Okay. So I'm standing, and there's like there's this three foot section of an aisle in Target, and I'm looking for some hair conditioner, and a little girl comes up to me and gives me a hug, wow. and you're just like, whoa. And then the mom comes over and I'm so sorry, but we we watch you and and she just really got excited. It, it's so humbling because I, I'm just little old me. Like I'm I'm five foot three, like I'm a tiny human being um, with yeah. a big mouth. But <laughs> <laughs> and I just, you know, go around and do my own thing, but you at times I forget that people are watching and at times I forget that that people have their thoughts and opinions and they just want to come up and say something or they just want to ask me one question they've been dying to ask me, but they didn't want to bother me. And it is so humbling because I was on the other side. I remember going to the auto show in Chicago, which is huge there. And we went every year with my dad and uh, Tamron Hall was there doing a live report. And it was right as the the auto show was ending at 10 and she was on the 10 o'clock news on Fox 32 there. And I remember seeing her and they're trying to get us to, to leave and she's setting up for a live shot. And I could not for the life of me 
get the courage to say anything to her. And she was probably six feet away from me. And I was so overwhelmed and so happy to see her. And my dad's like, well, just go say hi. And I'm like, I don't know what to say. And so I didn't. So I know what it feels like to be on the other side and the courage that it takes to actually walk over and say something. And so that's why whenever, anytime anyone comes up to me, I'm like, let's take a picture, you know, Snapchat me. And I don't have Snapchat. Maybe you should Twitter. <laughs> Tweet me or something. I gotta get on that Snapchat. I don't know. This oh, means... see, I'm right there with you. It yeah, makes me, me like uncomfortable. I'm on the fence. I don't know yeah. about it. Anywho, but I'll always talk to somebody and take some time and ask them their name and take a picture because I was on that side and I still am. If Suzanne Malfo walked in this room or Soledad O'Brien walked in this room, I would be like, oh, it's it's Soledad O'Brien. <laughs> 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 I would totally go into fan mode. So we've all been there. <laughs> so cool though like honestly like you you really have set this whole in, entire like you have it's the ripple effect really right. like you were Absolutely. saying it like is. especially being somebody who's grown up here and seeing this like i remember when you first made your debut here i was telling my brothers and sisters i was just like oh my gosh and their jaws literally dropped too because we, we we'd always joke about it. we're like don't never bring a black person in here <laughs> right. there's never going to be a black person on tv yeah. yeah it's just not going to happen in utah and lo and behold i mean right when you came right. in it it honestly it stirred things up we're just like wow and then me for myself i was like well i actually might have a chance right. down the road because Absolutely. I mean I thought about I my background is in in broadcast journalism mm-hmm. too so it's like I did television stuff and radio yeah. stuff as far as like schooling yeah. and everything too yeah. but I've really leaned more towards radio because I was like I don't really mm. I thought I wouldn't really have that much of an opportunity here in Utah as far as the television side of things too so but seeing you yeah. Here in Utah too, I, it just it really does paint that picture like it it, it could happen. It huh? absolutely could happen, and and the, the, there's no need for a glass ceiling. There's no need for anyone to feel like they can't achieve or do anything that they set their mind to. I look at my grandmother, uh, my mother's mom, and she is one of my favorite people in the world, if not my most favorite. <laughs> and she, um, you know, she found herself widowed. My grandfather was uh, killed by a drunk driver back before they had real any laws about drunk dr- drinking and driving and um, harsh sentences. And so she found herself a single mother with two kids, no education, because at that time your husband was the provider. And that's what you did. You took care of home and he went to work. Well, when he was tragically killed, my mom was only about four. My uncle, I think, was about six or so at that time. My grandmother looked around and said, OK, well, I need I need to figure it out. And at that point in the 60s, you really didn't have welfare. You really didn't have those social service programs that were put in place to help people like you do now. And my grandmother would not have accepted a handout anyways, um, had there been something that she knew about or something that was available to her. So she raised two kids, went back to school. She got two master's degrees. Um, She moved her family from St. Louis up to the Chicago area for better opportunity. I look at this woman, I'm like, everything was stacked against you. You had no education. You had two little kids. Your husband was gone in an instant. Your sense of um, financial stability, the love of your life, all of it gone. And you have these two little kids with mouths to feed looking up to you. And you had to figure it out. So when I look at things in my life and I'm like, oh, this is terrible. How am I going to deal? I'm like, no, it's not that bad. Mm. It's not that bad compared to what she did and and what she was able to do. And she's always been 
uh, my number one role model, my number one inspiration, just knowing her story and how she was able to persevere with everything stacked against her. And if you think about that time period, women were not viewed as equal. We're still fighting for that gender equality today. But especially then in the 60s, women were not viewed as equal. She was not to make the same pay as a man. She was not viewed as being as smart as a man. So her going back to school and then she's a black woman, a single black mom, two kids, widowed, no education. Everything was stacked against her and she made it. So to hear people say, I didn't think I could do this or I didn't know I could do it. It's like you can do anything. Sometimes you just need to know something to do better. Sometimes you need to see it. But whatever it is that gets you over that obstacle, gets you over that hurdle, there should be nothing that holds you back from life. You have a tremendous work ethic. Does that come from your grandmother? And No, seriously. <laughs> I really appreciate no, that. I was at ABC when you first came to Utah. Yeah. And I remember Richard Dutre Jones, he's the general manager of ABC mm -hmm. in Salt Lake. And he said, here's the first things he said. He said, we have to relight this studio because we have one of the best young broadcasters in the country coming. She's from Syracuse University and she will outwork every single one of you in this building. So be prepared. That's that what is, you said. So I had no idea. Yeah. yeah. That's wow. the first time I'm hearing that. That is pretty awesome. And I remember George <laughs> wow. Severson was in the newsroom when you went on television and he had the biggest smile on his face. Wow. Just like, wow, I'm making changes in Utah. Yeah. History. Yeah. Big changes. History Absolutely. in Utah. And my favorite yeah. thing at ABC at the time was getting to watch you and Kim Fisher and Brent Hunsecker at the time mm -hmm. and Jim and just watching how hard you worked and watching you guys come in tired and watching me come in hungover. <laughs> and it's like, well, how do these people juggle their lives? Because I'm failing at it. But... <laughs> it's an everyday thing with Sandra. <laughs> Rain or snow oh, and man. traffic and whether uh, routers are going out on you. That is funny. Nothing phases you. <laughs> no, you know, I appreciate you saying that about my work ethic because some days I'm like, when you, sometimes you meet people in your life and you're like, man, what have I been doing for the past 20 years? You know, people who are just so awesome. Um, but you try. I try to go in and do the best I can do every day. I have to um, report every day. So I'm turning stories. I'm putting stories on the air in half the time as a full-time reporter because I only have half a day. I have to get ready for my show and, and do the four. So I'm putting together um, these news reports in half a day versus my counterparts who have a full day. I have... Um, a whole hour-long show that I solo anchor. Uh, almost everybody else in the building has a co-anchor, and no one solo anchors as long as I do in our building. And it's a lot of work. It's a lot more than I thought it would be. It was a lot more than um, when I initially came on because I did have a co-anchor at the time, and he got moved to mornings. And it was kind of like, well, well, we'll think about giving you somebody, but we really think you can handle it. And I've been handling it for the past two years, but it hasn't been without um, – some headaches and, and some hard times because it, it is an, it's a crazy workload that I'm dealing with every day. And my biggest challenge every day I come into work is time management, making sure I have things done at a particular time because I'm wearing two hats or three hats. I help uh, my producer book our interview guests. I'm prepping for those interviews. I have my regular you know, news stories I have to do. I have my reporting responsibilities. Then you add in social media mm -hmm. and trying to stay on top of that. And I really feel like social media is its own full-time job. Yep. Mm -hmm. To do Amen. it right, 
to do it right, to make your Instagram, your Facebook, your Twitter, to make all those pages look different. There are so many more things that you're responsible for now in 2016 as a TV news person than I was eight years ago when I first started. Eight years ago when I first started, I didn't have a, a Facebook for... Um, that I was really actively using. I had Facebook. I had viewers on there, but I didn't post stories. I didn't um, have engage and dialogue or conversation. It's just a completely different world. I remember when we first got a Twitter deck in the newsroom and everyone's staring at this TV screen. (laughs) (laughs) And we're like, what is this? You know, now I'm dating myself, but you're just kind of like, what? what is this magic board and why does it keep moving? And <laughs> it was a really interesting thing. And so I've been in the business when social media was first getting started. And now it's so much involved um, in our everyday lives as journalists. But I've been through the entire change of having to have a huge live truck um, to do anything. And now you can go live in the backpack. Yeah, All of the yeah. things that have changed. And wow. so it's like you have to move with the times, move with change, or you'll be left behind. So part of my work ethic is to just make myself be valuable enough that when it's time to get rid of me, someone says, oh, no, we might want to keep her around. Making myself valuable so I have a job, so I can continue my career, continue my fa- my passion, but be good at it as well. Not to make everything about race, but I do feel like for Black people, for Hispanics, for those minorities, you have to be not as good, but a little bit better to be seen on the same playing field. Had I come into Utah and been some party girl and and got myself in trouble in that scene, if I came to Utah and just kind of slacked off, did not done the investigative special projects that I've been working on and pouring myself into and just kind of did whatever came that day, whatever press conference was happening, maybe I wouldn't still be here. So I feel like I've always had to work a little bit harder just to be on the same level playing field as my counterparts. Does that hurt your feelings to be seen as not as good as somebody? It doesn't hurt my feelings. I think it's just kind of a little bit of weight on my shoulders, but I've always carried it. So it's not even like I feel it anymore. I grew up in mostly predominantly white neighborhoods and schools. Um, and so I, I always felt a little bit different. I always knew I was a little bit different. I had a classmate in college ask me, uh, you know, and, and very seriously, you know, do you feel black? Do you, when you wake up, do you feel different? And I had to sit there and think about it. And, I, and my response was no. I wake up and I feel like Nadia. I wake up and I feel like, why did my alarm clock go off? Because I'm really, <laughs> I'm really not interested in getting up right now. Like I wake up feeling like me. It's not until I go um, out into the world and someone reminds me that I'm black. It's not until I'm walking in a parking lot of a grocery store and a white woman passes me and clutches her purse. It's not until I go into a parking lot and I'm trying to go through cars because I don't know where my car is ever. I never know where I park. <laughs> and so I'm trying to find my car and someone sees me coming and they lock the doors as they sit in their car. That's when I'm reminded that my skin is brown. That's when I'm reminded that being black may be intimidating or frightening to someone. Even though I'm, I'm 5'3 and 115 pounds. I'm not a very, I don't have a very intimidating stature, but... To some people, because my skin's brown, that's what they think. So it doesn't hurt my feelings. I feel like it's it's a badge of honor because I feel like, um, with, you know, the saying is that, that God only puts things on you that he knows you can handle. So I feel like I'm strong enough 
to be a pioneer in this industry. I feel like I'm strong enough to carry that burden. doesn't hurt my feelings. I wish things were different. I wish people could see the world in a different way, but I'm going to always wake up and be me and do my thing. And however somebody else handles it or takes it, you know, that's, that's their problem, but I'm not going to be sad about it or upset. I'm going to just wake up, be Nadia and, if I look that intimidating, maybe I should start jujitsu training. <laughs> maybe I miss my true calling to be in the UFC and be like the new Ronda Rousey. I don't know. <laughs> do you ever have difficulty kind of separating Nadia from your on-air personality? Like, do you do you have to like you know separate yourself, or how does that work? I don't. I'm still. I'm always Nadia all the time. So it's like it's one of those like love me or hate me. You will always get me. Because oh. I'm, I'm the same person. I'm a little bit more outspoken outside of work because I, if I'm around people I feel comfortable with and maybe I can actually say my opinion about something. Yeah. <laughs> I understand <laughs> or, that, definitely. You know, we're yeah. at work, you're a little bit more buttoned up. But I feel like I'm always the same person. And there are times when I really wish I could, not that I get recognized all the time, 24-7, there's paparazzi out, you know, around <laughs> the parking lot waiting for me to leave. But I mean, come on. You guys are sweet. You stand out. I do. I definitely stand out. That is for sure. I can spot you in a crowd. I see you everywhere. Take her to Shandy. We'll find her like that. You're not hiding it. You're not going to hide. I'll find you at Shoutown. That's right. And there's nowhere to hide. But honestly, I look at it like when I'm able to go back to Chicago and be with my family. Um, I was just in Vegas this last weekend. Two weekends ago, I was in New Orleans. I was just one of. I was just part of the crowd. And that anonymity was really nice and comfortable. And, you know, I could just chill. Whereas here, I'm concerned who has their camera out. Yeah. Who is going to take a picture of me and send it to my boss and say, oh, I didn't like what she was wearing. It wasn't appropriate or whatever. Like, not that that's happened, but, you know, you're, you're always kind of um, a little cautious and concerned about who's around, what they're doing, what they're saying about you, because you are unnoticed. You're under the spotlight, especially being one of the few people on TV with brown skin in this state. I do stick out. Yeah. So it's it's not hard for me to separate who I am because I'm always Nadia all the time. And people who know me <laughs> will tell you that that's true. Um, but it's nice to be able to leave the market and just chill, like just take a deep breath, like not worry about what someone may be thinking or saying about me and just just be me without the pressure. But I'm always Nadia. Sometimes I got to like turn it down a little bit. <laughs> With that said, do you have aspirations of becoming a national anchor for one of these four stations or going into cable? It's always a tough question. People always ask, you know, where do you see yourself in five years? Yeah. Where do you want to be? Five years ago, if you would ask me that question, I'm pretty sure I would not have said Utah. Salt Lake City, Utah. <laughs> um, you know, it just wasn't on my radar. You know, like no offense to my, <laughs> no offense to Wayne and people who are from here. Um, it just wasn't on my list of things I want. It wasn't on my bucket list. So it's hard for me to answer that question. You know, I'm I'm recently engaged. I never thought I would get married. I never thought I would want to have kids. All of that has changed for me in the last couple of years. 
So for me, it's really hard to say. Welcome to Utah. Where I they got me. But, but this time, I'll be a first wife and not the third wife. <laughs> <laughs> the first and only, because I'm not a good sharer. <laughs> um, so it, it's hard for me to say, you know, it, there's something really sweet about being in a city and a market where you are their local newscaster and you have that one-on-one interaction with your viewers. You're able to go to those community events. Once you make it to the big times, I have a friend that's a CBS News correspondent. He is based out of Dallas and, you know, reports for CBS News. And you can see his stories on any CBS station across the country or even across the world because of CBSN. But he doesn't have that interaction with viewers. He doesn't get to MC events. He doesn't get to go to those community events because he is known, but he's not a local hero. He's not, you know, on that community level. So you do lose out on some of the perks of this job or some of the benefits of knowing exactly how your viewers feel about you. I know I can go somewhere and ask people. They'll come up and tell me, or I can get it on social media when my CBS news correspondent friend, when he gets that, when he gets a social media message or whatever, it could be from somebody anywhere in the country. And so then you can't really gauge if somebody in North Carolina doesn't like his story, but somebody in New York does, does he change? But for me, if somebody from Sandy and Logan and Ogden is like, hey, we did not like that segment, I'm going to go back and look at the segment and figure out what they're talking about, how they felt, what went wrong, because I have that personal connection with my viewers that you just don't get on a national level. So it's, it's so hard when I think about life as a whole. I used to just be career oriented worried about my professional life. And then I started thinking about, oh, well, what do I want to do? What do I want to accomplish as Nadia, as a person, not this news anchor? What do I want to do? And that has really changed my future and has changed my focus on what's important in life. And it's not just my career. It's not what I'm doing eight or nine hours a day. I have personal goals that I still have yet to accomplish. So that's the million-dollar question. Yeah. I wish I had an answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm wondering, do you have any advice for people that are starting out who, 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 who want to be a journalist? Like, is there anything that you wish you had known starting out? Um, you know, I think I have a healthy sense of um, self-respect and self-esteem and confidence. And, and those are the three things you really, really need to come into this business You are not going to please everybody. People are going to have some nasty, negative things to say about you, whether it just be simply surface level, like they don't like your hair and they don't like that necklace or whatever. You're going to hear that. But then you're going to have people that challenge your stories and challenge you as a journalist. And you have to make sure that what you've put on air and what you've presented is the absolute truth as you know it um, and that you can stand by your product. So I would tell anyone who wants to get into this business, please do. We need more voices. We need more people. We need more opinions. We need more um, diverse backgrounds, whether it be religion or ethnicity or or maybe uh, the U.S. isn't your home country. Maybe this is your refugee and you have a story to tell and, and you can reach out to particular communities that I couldn't or another journalist can't. We need all of those voices to make news what it is. We are supposed to defend the public defend our rights. We're supposed to bring things to light. We're supposed to hold the government and our lawmakers accountable. I can't do that by myself. 
I need to be in a newsroom and a news team of people that are like minded, but also not thinking the same as me so that we can all tackle this world in every facet. News is something that is ever changing. It used to be that you could do a story and hold on to it. Now you have to get it on your social media. You have to post that on Facebook. You have to post it on your website before the newscast ever airs. You can't sit on stories for a couple of days or weeks like you used to. Things are changing and there's this need for content and there's this beast that you're trying to feed all the time. So I want everybody who's even just a little bit interested to try to get into this business. Know that it's not going to be the most fun when you first start out. You're not going to make a ton of money. Um, I was a catering supervisor in college. It was one of my jobs. I made more money in catering than I did in my first TV job. I qualified for food stamps and welfare and the whole bit in my first TV job. Um, So you're not making a ton of money. You're working terrible hours. You could work 2 p.m. to 11 p.m., 3 a.m. to noon. The nine to six is the most coveted, obviously, shift, but it's very, very rare that you get that shift, especially when you're first starting out. It's not going to be the the um, idealized, more glorious image of a TV news reporter when you first get into it. But if you really get into the business for the right reasons, it can be so gratifying. If you're interested in getting into news because someone told you you have a cute face and you should be on TV, this is not the field for you. Go to L.A., Go to New York, <laughs> shop your headshots around, see about getting on a reality TV show. It ain't worth it. <laughs> if all you want to do is see your mug on TV, there are more lucrative ways to do that. Less stressful, better hours. Just do something else. OK, there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you're interested in. But this is not the profession for you because there are some some really, really tough days, a tough road ahead. You do stories that are absolutely heartbreaking and you have to go home with that. You interview people on the worst days of their lives. You can show up to a house fire and that person just lost everything and you're there to interview them. You can show up after a shooting or a stabbing and that mother just lost her only son and you're there to interview them. Those are things that you can't get rid of. Those are things that you can't not think about. Those are things that you take home to bed with you each night. It's a tough business, but if you want it, Please try hard. Do it. Come out. Be passionate. Be confident. Have a good, healthy amount of self-esteem so that you can persevere through those challenging days. I'm not worried about my job security. If it's my time to go or if a new reporter or anchor comes in and they bump me out, then then that's fine. That was not their fault, my fault. That was a decision made by people who are above me. So I would never want someone not to follow their dreams because I'm worried about my job. (laughs) It's not about me. It's about the product. It's about the true um, job of the press. We're the only profession protected in the Bill of Rights. This is a really, really important job. And I want anyone out there who thinks even just a little bit that they may be interested, come out and do it. Try it out. If you hate it, What's the worst thing that could happen? You quit and you go on and you make more money and you do something better. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I made Craig Worth angry at me when I left the newsroom and went into sports television production. And he said, and I've said this a couple of times on here, but he said, you're going to make a lot of money in that business. You're going to have a lot of fun. You're going to get to do a lot of traveling. But at the end of the day, you're not going to be in the newsroom and you're going to end up missing it. Why did you not go into sport television? Because I could see you on an NBA sideline. I could see you doing football sideline. And the money is phenomenal. The work <laughs> schedule is effortless. Yeah. yeah. 
No, I, you know, I love sports. I absolutely love sports. There are very few things I have on my desk besides a bunch of like papers and junk, but I always have um, a Michael Jackson bobblehead. (laughs) 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 And I always have um, a Cowboys helmet, a Dallas Cowboys helmet on my desk. Those are the two things that have been with me at every station I've ever worked at. This is my fourth station. And sports to me, it's like, it's the one thing that unites us all. When you watch sports and you're around people who are wearing the same jersey as you, it doesn't matter what your religion is. doesn't matter your gender, your ethnicity. Does, none of that matters because you're all cheering for the same team. There's something pretty incredible about sports and the love of sports and the love of a team that really unites people. When you look at the city of Chicago and what happened what's been happening and continues to happen on the South side with all the deaths and everything that's happening there. But when the Blackhawks won the Stanley cup, the entire city was celebrated. There's, and and I love sports for that very reason. I never played sports, but I loved watching and commentating. And I thought about going into it. I was on real sports live um, that comes on Sunday nights. And I did that for a while. And what I realized is sports are my, it's, it's, it's my outlet. Mm-hmm. It's something that I enjoy doing on my own time. When I had to be prepared to analyze games and analyze decisions that were being made by coaches and all of that, it took the fun out of it for me. I lo- want nothing more than to spend my weekend at an RSL match or go watch the bees or go to a jazz game to see the bulls, but go to a jazz game. <laughs> um, th- that's what I consider fun. You take me to a sporting event and and I'm I'm all down for it. Like that is a good time to me. When I turned my escape into work, it it wasn't great. I didn't enjoy it at all. So for me, news is still my baby, news is still my passion, news is still something that impacts us all and that can really inspire change. Sports to me is when I want to hang out with my girlfriends or hang out with my fiance or hang out with my family and just watch a game or a match and and just chill. You know, when when I thought about doing that as my full time gig, it took all of the fun and all the life out of it. And then I didn't have an outlet. Once I left work doing news, I need something to take my mind off of all the murders I cover and, and all the political corruption and, and all the bad things. And that's what sports is for me, sports and music. And without having those two and turning them into work, it's just what would my life be? So although it could be a lot of fun and traveling and and sometimes I watch, I have a um, Carolyn Mano is uh, someone I knew. We both worked in Indiana at the same time and I stayed in news and she was in sports and now she's on NBC uh, Sports and she was just at the Triple Crown when they won and she does all this great stuff for the Olympics and I watch her and I'm so happy and proud of her and happy for her, but it's just just wasn't the life for me. Well, you inspire me as a young journalist and I appreciate you staying in the news because people like you make a world of difference in communities. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And anyone who wants to learn how to write a resume, go to Nadia Crow's LinkedIn page. It's one of the most, <laughs> it's a work right. of art. It is. He, he talks about your LinkedIn quite a bit. I'm actually. So really Dude, I gotta go and like update that. I gotta take a look. Like I just go on and like accept invitations and I'm out. But oh, that is cool. Every time I talk to young kids at BYU or at the U when... Yeah. I'm doing TV and they're like, hey, how do I do that? I say, go to Nadia Crow's page. That is awesome. Mimic that and that will get you a job. So <laughs> That is pretty yeah. awesome. Thank you. So, so Nadia, as we wrap this up, yeah. uh, where can listeners find you? Oh, well, okay. So it's Monday through Friday from 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. on ABC4. 
Um, that's where I anchor. My stories air in the 5, 6 o'clock news. I have some special projects coming up on the 10. But, you know, I'm really active on social media. It was one of my New Year's resolutions. Uh, probably 2014 was a New Year's resolution of mine to be more active on social media because I can really, really slack off when it comes to that. <laughs> so I'm on Facebook as Nadia Crow. Um, Nadia News Now is who I am on Instagram and on Twitter. It's Nadia News Now. A lot of people in Utah say Nadia New Snow. The snow here. And so that's what they see. And that's oh, cool. Goodness. That works too. That works too. It'll, it'll all be good. But I try to be active on social media. And I honestly love hearing from people. I want to know if you're watching. I want to know if you liked something, if you didn't like something. Um, I don't really want to know how you felt about my outfit or my earrings, <laughs> but <laughs> you get that though. Oh, people yeah. are like, why did you wear that color? I, you know, it's mm. ridiculous how much um, female journalists endure on TV, on radio, in print, no matter what. As a female in this industry, the standards are completely different. And if you remember that story, it came out of Australia where there was a news anchor who wore the same suit every day for a year. And he had two female co-anchors and everyone bashed them and what they were wearing and had an opinion. And no one even noticed that he was wearing the same suit every day for a year. So that's it's part of the burden of, of being a female journalist is uh, there's a superficial part of TV news and you can't get away from it. And that's perfectly fine. But I wish more people focused on my main anchor, Kim Fisher, on the reports that she does on sexual assault, the changes that she's made in this state, opening eyes to what's going on here, shedding light on things that are dark secrets that shouldn't be dark secrets that need to come to light and less worried about her haircut and more worried about her reporting and, and the anchoring that she does and all of the community um, activism that she's a part of and all the community events that she lends her time to. We don't get paid for a lot of these things. We don't, um, we're all salary. So when we do stuff on the weekends or after work, it's all out of the kindness of our hearts and to, to be a good face out in the community and to practice what you preach. And she does all of those things. And so not really with me do I get... Um, you know, a lot of negative comments from people about my physical appearance or what I'm wearing, but I know that she does. And it just, it really grinds my gears when I read some of those comments. And I just think to myself, what in the world were you thinking when you fixed your mouth to say that, or you got on your keyboard and typed that up and press send, you know, what, what's going on in your life? What's happening in your relationships that you feel like that's appropriate and those are things that happen to female journalists all the time. And it's really disturbing that people can't see past it. So when I say I want to hear from viewers and I want to know what you're thinking, like, let's talk about the segments I did. Let's talk about some of the special projects I've been working on. Let's talk about Dan Pope and our interaction and some crazy stuff that Dan said. <laughs> but, you know, anything other than that, like... I'm not really interested. I, I'm I'm pretty secure in myself. And so whether you loved my hair on Tuesday or hated it, it's not going to really change me as a person. I'm more interested in what you thought about my special report. So I, I would love for people to reach out to me and let me know what you want to see on TV news. Tell me why you don't watch the news. Tell me why you rather get your news from BuzzFeed or, or from the HuffPost, why you don't want to watch TV at 4 o'clock or you don't have the time. Uh, that interaction is invaluable, and that's instant feedback. In a lot of professions, you do not get that, but we get it here, the good and the bad and the ugly. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Wayne, where are you at? 
All right, so uh, you can find me afternoons on the weekend, uh, 1 to 7 p.m. on 97.1 ZHT, and then Sunday, 12 to 7 p.m. on 97.1 ZHT. Awesome. Thank you. You can always find Sasha at Mr. Underscore Bloom, and you can also find me. I'm Johnny Promo for Mix 105.1. You can find me on air every Saturday from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. You can also follow me on Twitter at Johnny McKeon. That's M-C-K-E-O-N. So your perfect segue right there. Listen to Johnny. (laughs) 